G'day, and welcome to episode 127 of the Pack Heavy Podcast. My name is Hayden Thompson, and today's conversation is with Shay and Jim Kim, who are the brother-sister co-founding duo behind Earthling Foods. Now in 2020, Shay and Jim founded Earthling Foods, which is a dedicated gluten-free specialty production bakery located in Port Coquitlam, BC. They're renowned for their expertise in crafting exquisite gourmet de croix, which they recently rebranded and trademarked as Dacarons. During our conversation, we explore their founding story, uh, the exciting and very recent rebranding journey that they've just embarked on, uh, the unique production methods, and also some distribution challenges along the way. Uh, This was a really relaxed and fun conversation that definitely uncovered the remarkable journey of Earthling Foods and the genius of both Shay and Jim's entrepreneurial journey. All right, let's get into it. I hope you all enjoy episode 127 with Shay and Jim Kim. Shay, Jimmy, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having us. That's a pleasure. So this is pretty unique. Jimmy, you're in Mexico on vacation. Shay, you're down the road from us, not too far away here in Vancouver. And uh, yeah, obviously, thank you very much for both taking the time to join me today. I'm really looking forward to the chat. Yeah, Yeah, you're welcome. So let's start with the business. Obviously, there's a lot that we can talk about. I just saw you guys at the show the other day, uh, and it was really nice to catch up, tasted your product again, took it home, and my wife and kids gobbled it up as well. And I've got to tell you, you guys have got an amazing product. Things must be going very well for you. Thank you so much. It's, uh, yeah, it's definitely been a wild ride and, um, you know, where do I even start? Right. Yeah. It started in 2020, I guess you could say, which was a wild time to start a business in the first place. I'm guys, sure you guys have got a, a hell of a roller coaster of a, you know, journey that you've been on the place that I always like to start the podcast though, is where are you both from? Where'd you grow up? Yeah. So, uh, I'll go first. I think Shay is like, her voice is running out today, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> you know, I, we're actually from um, South Korea. Yeah. You guys and, are brother, sister, right? Yeah. We're brother, yep. sister. We grew up in South Korea and then we immigrated here in 2001 mm-hmm. and then we just sort of been everywhere in the West coast, um, the Western Canada. We grew up in Western Canada and, um, I came here when I was eight years old. She mm. came here when she was 11 years old. So I know her Korean's still a bit fresher than mine too. And, uh, yeah. And then the last, I guess, how many years, like since 2009, we've been living in Vancouver. Mm-hmm. So I'm uh, mostly in New Westminster and, and Coquitlam. So yeah. Coming over, how did you find the integration into the Western world? How was your sort of experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, for myself, I, it was honestly seamless cause I was so young Yeah, and I'm, I'm pretty grateful for it. Yeah, you know, I, my wife, she's she immigrated here just like two years ago, and the challenges that she goes through every day, like the difference between how I just oh, yeah. like grow up here, like yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so Where's she from? She's from South Korea as well. As well, yeah, yeah, yeah. But we met in in Vancouver. So. Okay, cool. What about yourself, Shay? Um, so the question was, how am I finding? Yeah, how did you find the integration into Canada? Uh, yeah, well, in the beginning it was difficult because I was starting to learn English um, right. in school. But being kind of in the middle of nowhere in Canada and rural Canada, that, yeah, that really helps. It forces yourself to learn a language pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, um, but full immersion too, you know, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, for mm. sure. Um, but then, yeah, I mean... We love Vancouver. It feels like a yeah. second home, really. Like we've been living here since 2009. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, I mean, I love it. <laughs> That's cool. Have you been back to Korea? Oh, yeah. Yeah, many times back and forth. Um, I'm planning to go again sometime early next spring. Beautiful. And Jimmy's been back and forth more recently due to our machine, which we'll talk about later on. Okay. Yeah, cool. Awesome. So you guys are pretty much set up here and you guys have obviously established a business, which is a huge endeavor in itself and further, I guess, embedded you guys in the community and in the Western, um, you know, provinces over here in BC. And you guys are obviously growing your business, which is giving you guys exposure into other markets too, which is really cool. So tell me, at what point did you guys decide to go in business together and how did that come about? (laughs) Do you want to explain it or do you want with siblings mm. <laughs> family business is always tough <laughs> family business i don't know if it gets any tougher than family business to be honest <laughs> yeah um, but i mean okay so jimmy and i had a cafe together before all of this so yeah. we used to have a small cafe in new westminster yeah and then um covid hit uh so pandemic was bad for every small business but mm. especially with ours because we were located in such walkable neighborhood where we really depended on pedestrian foot mm-hmm. traffic and that basically shut down during covid yep um, so we were looking for ways to generate um, income and then we looked into deliveries and baking and expanding sales throughout those channels mm. we really focused on instagram sales and doing like door-to-door deliveries that's where our bakery just kind of um, started from yep. yeah yeah so it all started from like um, pandemic <laughs> and um, yeah, we started looking into ways to grow our cafe sales and then we started supplying to other cafes locally yeah. and then the grocery stores started picking up our products yeah. and, and then now we're here. Yeah, yeah. And it, I'm going to pronounce it so wrong. Dequois. Dequois? Dequois. At what point did you realize that that was sort of like your unique value proposition and the way that you were sort of separating yourselves from everybody out there? Like, did you produce it first? Did you taste one out in the field? Like, you know, how did that come onto your radar? Yeah. So uh, my wife actually used to uh, eat the quads with her friends uh, Mm. back in South Korea Mm -hmm. because it was kind of, it was having like a like a big boom in South Korea. And They're delicious. They're so good. And for anybody listening out there, like I'll provide a link down in the show notes to the um, Earthling Foods website, but a dequois, like, would you like to sort of describe what it is? Because I think a lot of people are very familiar with like a little French macaron. Like, mm-hmm. so it's very, very similar in that respect, but there are differences, right? For sure. Yeah. And, um, you know, the best way to describe it is it's an almond meringue uh, on the outside with yeah. a buttercream filling in the center. Yeah. And the, you know, the French macaron also uses a meringue, but how they make the batter is they deflate the air out of it mm. to a certain amount and then they dry it and then they bake it. Uh, whereas in the quads, it's the whole goal is to keep the outside fluffy and light. Mm. So it's kind of crunchy on the outside and mm. soft on the inside. And it's a, it's, it was a product for us that was really, you know, in the beginning, we just, I just made it for my wife and mm. I really liked it. Uh, you know, I was addicted to it as I yep. made it. And then, uh, and then how, how we started selling it is we realized it was very cafe friendly in the beginning. Um, it's got excellent shelf life, uh, obviously tastes very good. Um, and it doesn't compromise when it's frozen. Yeah. Um, so it, for us, it's, it's, that just was a no brainer. So yeah. 
Um, but it was extremely difficult to produce in a larger scale. So I mean, we can go about that later, but that's how it kind of started. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's awesome. Um, yeah. The cool thing is my son sort of described it best. My son Zave's five and a half years old and like kids love anything sweet as you know, but when he bit into it, he was, I was like, Hey, what's it taste like? Like describe to me the way that it feels. And he's like, it's crunchy, but it's chewy at the same time. And it's soft and it's cold. And like he was going through all the descriptions, but he's right. It's like everything at once. It's really unique. It's very cool. <laughs> yeah. If you're a texture person, you'll like it. Uh, sure. Yeah. I'm definitely a texture guy. Yeah, for sure. Like, um, so yeah. Zapaz is traditionally a French cake. So yeah. Okay. Any kind of nut meringue layer cake. Yeah. Um, the way the Quaz is marketed in Asia, in South Korea and Taiwan and Japan, they're marketed as like the oval shaped product that you see from our bakery. Yeah. Got yeah. The quads, like people from those countries will recognize that as the quads, but in France and other countries, they'll see that as like the traditional cake. Yeah. Um, so what we did was we came up with like kind of a North American version of mm. this. So we, the quads is kind of hard to pronounce as well mm. for non-French speaking people. Mm-hmm. So we recently just rebranded our product to Dacaron, which is the quads macaron. <laughs> So you'll see on our website as being marketed as Dacarons. Dacaron. I did pick up on that at the show, actually. It's really cool. And you've got like this cool little character that's obviously like heading up the brand as well. So I like the direction that you're taking your branding. It's really cool. Mind you, your Earthling Foods branding is beautiful too. I'd love to talk to you about both brands that you've developed. Um, You know, it seems like quite a technically challenging product to produce. And you just sort of hinted on the fact that scaling has provided some challenges. So why don't you sort of like um, provide some insight to anybody that's listening out there? Obviously, there are people listening, so that all of the listeners out there um, on sort of the way that you managed to get around the fact that you had a technically challenging product, even though it's shelf stable. And obviously, you know, there is a lot of value in those kinds of things, but the actual production of it and the scaling of it sort of walk us through what that all looked like. <clears throat> yeah. Well, a um, couple of difficulties about our product is that um, it's a product that when you make it, you ha- it it's got to end up in the oven within 20 minutes. Um, so from creation of the batter into the oven, it's got to go within 20 minutes or what happens, it, it'll come out like a flat pancake or yeah, like yeah. a macaron, right? Yeah. So um, it's a it's a it's a bit of a difficult process, and everything was hand like everything was handmade. Mm-hmm. Everything still is handmade, to be honest. And uh, you know, we we realized we needed to. There's certain ways to scale our product. Uh, obviously, get a bigger oven, <laughs> get yeah. a bigger mixer. Um, but you know, there is a molding process that we go through with our product, which is the most challenging part, and which takes a lot of skills and uh, handwork and definitely like that touch, you know, that human touch. Mm-hmm. And if you don't have that, or if you're not skilled with it, you'll just ruin, you know, hundreds and maybe thousands of dollars worth of stuff. Um, yeah, so, almond flour is not cheap, eh? <laughs> well, it's almond flour, egg whites, yeah. uh, you know, sweet rice flour. We yeah. Our so yeah, every everything that we use is very premium ingredients, which is another whole Uh, Mm. you know, (laughs) Pandora's box, sorry. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So we realized, you know, and for a product that is so prevalent in Asia, I was shocked to see that there was no machines. There was no automation. Uh, You know, for example, they make and sell this in um, Costco um, in South Korea and Starbucks as well. 
but they don't do it tra the traditional way. So it's sort of like the, the cutting the corners cheap way of making it. Um, yeah. But they're not using the like a commercialized cheap. version of it, sort of. Yeah, for sure. You know, and um, and it it didn't do too well in the market there because for that reason. But Shilla Hotel, some other hotels do it the right way, and they're very successful. Like. Mm. Um, um in in the hotel so but anyways i was I just really shocked that there was no machines and um i happened to just be at the right place at the right time with the right people and um you know they guided me into getting connected with some automation machine um mm. automation companies in south korea um but the person actually lives in port coquilla oh. so <laughs> what out of all the places in the world they're just like couple of blocks away. <laughs> yeah, so he, he did some work for another uh, bigger company. I don't yeah. feel like we're talking about it too much, so I, I won't say where, but he worked for another bigger company, right. uh, local food producer, and then he kind of um, found another job somewhere else, mm -hmm. skipped a bunch of places, and kind of eventually ran into me. And uh, you know, he helped me a lot during the beginning. Mm. Um, and then about 18 months ago, we started looking into automation. Um, I first reached out before I met him, I reached out to some companies in Toronto and the quotes that I got was uh, like, <laughs> yeah, on a half a million dollars, like big dollars, quarter million dollars, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Half a million dollars yeah. for something with very minimal function. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And there's no guarantees that, you know, it will work mm -hmm. if, if there, I mean, there are, but you have to pay more. <clears throat> yeah. And, you know, it's hard to pull quarter million dollars out of our pockets when mm -hmm. we don't have it. <laughs> mm -hmm. And especially, especially if you don't see a return on that investment within a reasonable exactly. amount of time. Yeah. So it's hard because we can't, we couldn't approach the big accounts without a solution to this mm. and we can't get the money without the big accounts. <laughs> yeah. Without a commitment from somebody. Yeah. No, understood. Exactly. It's like the, the horse or the cart, you know? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, chicken or the egg, right? Yeah, and yeah. It does. So that that one was really tough. Um, but luckily, you know, this we found we connected with an automation company where he used to work for a packaging company called uh, Dehan Packaging. Okay. And they do packaging for a bunch of people who um, uh, sell to Costco and other big uh, national uh, stores. So he retired, this one guy, uh, he's an engineer, he retired and he sort of started this company as like a passion project. So he wouldn't work on anything that already exists. Mm. So I, 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 you know, I, when we were talking about the contract, I said, hey, like in the future, I might need a floor wrapper, I might need some other stuff. And he cut me off and he said, look, I'm not here to make floor wrappers. I'm not here to make, you know, conveyor belts or whatever. I just want to do the cool shit basically sorry mm -hmm. no no <laughs> yeah so good the cool stuff. and yeah. i said okay fair enough uh you know let's just get this one machine done and and what you know, what part of the process was this machine achieving when you're talking so about this, automation yeah so um when we make the batter mm -hmm. it's got to go into a mold which we um you know made ourselves here we fabricated ourselves here like a um, silicon mold or there's a food grade plastic um, yeah. mold. Yeah. And uh, traditionally it's made with like stainless steel molds, but yeah. 
if I wanted to make 20 of those pans, it'll be very costly. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so, um, yeah, so we made these uh, plastic molds, got them cut by the guy that literally uh, leases a place behind us. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, so we use that. So the batter goes into the mold, the mold comes out, and um, it's got to go through a, like an icing sugar dusting thing. And then that sits for a bit and it goes into the oven. So that is the most trickiest process. It's also like, you know, probably the most labor intensive. Mm. And <laughs> to be honest, it's almost like uh, applying concrete onto brick walls. Yeah, know? no, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> brick layering sometimes when yeah. it gets hot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the machine, this automated piece of the process, is it like, um, is it sort of like extruding the product into or like pouring the product into the molds? Is it? It goes into the mold and yeah. then the platform drops. Yeah. So that uh, the mold, that whole process of putting it in, taking it out. Ah, so right now it takes cool. approximately a minute and a half for staff to do it. Yeah. And with the machine, it'll take eight seconds. That's insane. What an advantage yeah. that's going to give you guys. And have you delivered, have you actually received this piece of equipment yet? Or is it still on? <laughs> so two days ago, my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law went over there to test it. So in Taiwan. Uh, uh, sorry, in um, back in yeah, South Korea. Yep. And uh, she's a pastry chef or former yeah. pastry chef. So yeah. She knows how to make the batter and everything. Yeah. And yeah. So she made it. We tested it. It was successful. Oh, cool. Um, now we got to ship it over here. Yeah. Then yeah. get it installed and get it operational. Well, that's so exciting. That's yeah. going to transform your business. Oh, I hope so. Reduce labor costs. <laughs> You, is, do you find that this is a um, a process that's kind of like we're obviously about to embark on summer. It's going to get quite hot in your production facility as well. Do you find that temperature fluctuations like impact your production as well? Hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. As an as a meringue. Um, yeah. The humidity, the temperature. Yeah. All of our factors. Yeah. And um, you know when it was hotter, we just had to reduce the size of our batters. Yep. So we were quicker with it, so it doesn't mm-hmm. melt away. Mm-hmm. Um, so the yield is a lot lower in the summer. Yeah. Um, it takes more manpower. Yeah. But luckily this week we just got our air conditioner installed. Awesome. <laughs> you guys are humming along. It's yeah. air conditioners are so expensive. And... <laughs> I don't know if anything is cheap anymore. There's no such thing as a cheap solution, is there? And if you do, you're in trouble. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool. So I feel as if you guys have got like the whole production side of things on lockdown. Like, you know, how exactly what you're doing when it comes to the creation of the product, keeping your costs like in check, you know, all of your inputs, your ingredient input, and so on. You're looking to scale your, um, scale your operation through um, the input of automation, which is really, really smart. And then if you look at the business model, then you've obviously got your sales and your marketing to extend the product out into the world and see some success. How are you finding that part of the process? Jen, do you want to touch on that since you're... Um, obviously, it's difficult because we're trying to market a product that doesn't exist. Yeah, there's like a whole education piece that needs to be central to it. Hey, exactly. I was thinking that when I saw you at the show the other day. Yeah. And, you know, the first question we always get asked is, what is a dequoise? Mm-hmm. But then that gets followed up with how to pronounce this word. So they can't even ask the question, what is a dequoise? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That's how so, I felt. That's how I felt. Yeah. 
they'll be like what are the the koi's like the koi like how do you say this yeah um this is why we decided to rebrand ourselves our, mm-hmm. our product um so it's easier to say and easier to kind of like convey what it actually is because yeah there no like the pause well although less than people that know macarons mm. there's a lot of people that are familiar with the french macaron mm-hmm. um so it sounds like a macaron but it's it's a decoise so that's why it's macaron, right? yeah how many how much sort of feedback or did you guys have like this mental barrier where you're like no it's a decoise like or did you have to take on board the feedback that you were getting that there seemed to be a bit of a bottleneck of people having some understanding as to what the product is and it could be holding your business back. And then you guys going, Hey, the solution is maybe complete rebrand or a complete sort of like renaming of this product. How long did it sort of take you guys to cotton on to that fact? And actually I like, mean, we've had all, all sorts of feedback. We, we would have like, you know, French people who know the product coming up to us and telling us, Hey, this is not that was, this mm. isn't, was. and then we would have um, Korean people who've seen the product in Korea or Taiwan or Japan. And they'll be like, uh that was and we know what this is but then you know is it different is it the same thing mm. um there's been like a lot of difficulties trying to really you know establish our identity as a mm. product mm-hmm. <laughs> is it also like a wholesale product is it a cafe product is it a gluten-free product because that's yep. also um customer base because we're a gluten-free facility and we only mm. make goods yeah um, just to put that out there we also in the beginning, we focused more on like brownies and cakes and other things. And then later down the road, as we focused more on wholesale, we specifically uh, focused on the decoys and the decorants. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's been very difficult trying to like really establish what our identity is. Mm. Our rebrand process is doing that and it's trying to communicate to our customers um, who we are and what we're focusing on, who we're specializing in more. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, we're Dacaron is currently in process of being trademarked. Okay, cool. Let's use the word Dacaron from now on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, I'm but gonna, I'm gonna get it to stick. <laughs> it's gonna stick. It's gonna take off. I can see it right now. But I gotta admit, like when I first met you guys, I think it was probably at the from the ground up trade show, maybe two or three years ago. Or was was it last year? Was your first time there? It was our first. Yeah. Last year. Okay, so it was last year, a year ago. And then uh, obviously I saw you again last week. And the first thing that sort of drew me to your tent uh, was your beautiful Earthling Foods brand. Um, obviously you've got that really rich green Earthling Foods. It's like sounds interesting and intriguing. And I sort of wanted to get a bit of an idea as to sort of what your idea was when you were first like launching your original brand, like that emotion and sort of like what sort of um, – you know, what you were inspired by when you were creating that. And obviously now that you've pivoted to Dakaron, I feel as if your brand's taken on a whole new personality, you know? So talk to me about like the personas of each brand and how you sort of decided to shift gears with the the changing of the names to Dakaron and change the brand and, you know, the persona of the brand at the same time. Great. Um, so just to give you a little bit of a background. So um, before this all began, we, so I was, gluten intolerant yeah and we really wanted to focus on a basic <clears throat> really good tasting gluten-free desserts yeah. because there's not a lot of really good tasting gluten-free desserts out there mm. um so we were focusing on gluten-free and then we were also focusing on vegan desserts like vegan cans cakes and brownies and cakes that we still do and still make um but as the dacarons kind of 
um, gain more popularity in the recent months, we started to kind of um, rebrand ourselves more into that, you know, friendly like pastry that people know, um, like the taste goods, just because um, the gluten-free pastry world, it's not really, people don't see it as something that's tasty. Mm. Like, <laughs> so I feel like in the beginning, it was the wrong approach for us. And right. also the, the image, um, like the vegan and the gluten-free image and the dark green colors, yeah. um, that kind of restricted us um, as a brand to just be only making vegan things. Mm. Um, so it's, like, a lot of people kind of mistook us for, as a vegan bakery when we were just gluten-free bakery. <laughs> Got, yeah, 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 so understood brand ourselves as more of like a fine artisan patisserie mm-hmm. um, that does really great, delicious gluten-free snacks. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So you guys are very good at listening to feedback and like actually taking it on board and doing something positive with it. Would you suggest that's the case? We oh try. yeah. We value <laughs> feedback a lot. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, you know, you, do you guys, are you guys um, head along to farmer's markets frequently? Do you ever... Do you ever have a trellis um, table set up at a farmer's market? We did last year. Um, yeah. Yeah. For us was with farmer's markets is such a hit and miss. And last year, the weather was really, really, I, I, I mean, it feels like it's getting worse every year, but the <laughs> heat wave has been very difficult to deal with. Yeah, with I can imagine. Being in the tents. Yeah. Um, but yeah, farmer's markets definitely helped us reach a lot of customers. As yeah. Well as generate like leads and connections yeah and get that feedback too there's a real common theme on this podcast that a lot of startup businesses that i talk to you know typically start at farmers markets and it's during those early days at the farmers markets that you get that you know consistent feedback and you're able to pivot and make adjustments and go back out onto the market get feedback and sort of you know complete that cycle relatively quickly is that something you guys took advantage of for sure and we also get all sorts of feedback from online um customers we started as an Instagram bakery. Um, cool. We started in kitchen doing deliveries door to door. We still have the same customers that ordered from us when we were at that stage. And that's we, cool. We provide. They would write emails, like very long emails, um, saying like how they feel about this product and like how they feel about our brand. Even how um, amazing is that? Yeah. So, so like, yeah. Those types of feedbacks, and we appreciate them a lot. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. How big is your team at the moment? Um, our team, so yeah. our staff. Yeah, oh, yes. yeah. <laughs> uh, we're a small team of five people. Okay. Um, we just um, hired two production staff mm-hmm. onto our team um, to help us with like the bigger orders that are coming in in the couple uh, couple weeks. Yeah. Um, but right now we're just a small team of five people. We have one uh, sales and marketing person, and mm-hmm. slash delivery, oh, yeah. slash office, slash everything else. And yeah, yeah. That'll really help. You guys will start to be able to delegate a little bit more and free up some of your own time to focus on other parts of the business. Yeah, because we have to wear so many hats. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you've obviously, Shay, you've got your um, your chef's top on right now. Oh, yeah. So. I'm assuming that you wear that a lot. So that tells me that you're probably in production more so than not. Um, Jimmy and I are both in production a lot. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, at the end yeah. of the day, because our product is, you know, such a difficult product to make, mm. um, 
we always like to be a part of the production process mm. just make sure everything's running smoothly yeah jimmy's in mexico obviously not wearing a chef jacket but <laughs> <laughs> but when he's here yeah. he's, he's yeah. you know yeah wearing one too <laughs> that's cool talk to me about wholesale what seem to be some of the you know the wins and losses that you've had along the road and what have you learned when it comes to selling wholesale there's a lot. Um, yeah. For wholesale, you know, when we first started out, you know, we didn't even know, you know, the, the difference between, you know, food service sales and, you know, CPG, mm -hmm. the word CPG, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we, we didn't even really realize what we were really getting into at that point. Um, you know, we were just distributing and selling to some other friends, cafes, local cafes in the area, and it was just really picking up. And, um, and we were really picking up online on Instagram. Mm. And then one day we get, uh, you know, an Instagram message from someone, um, I don't know if I can say her name here, but she worked, she was a buyer at TNT. Oh, cool. <laughs> and then she just, uh, messaged us on Instagram say, Hey, like your product looks really cool. I'd like to try some. And we we're kind of like rubbing our eyes and, you know, is this real? Is this person messing with us? Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, um, one step after another, we ended up working with TNT um, and, you know, all 18 locations, you know, distribution from their, um, their central distributors. So and, you would um, ship pallets to their DC and then they'd just like spread them out to the stores from there? Totally, yeah. Cool. And at that point, we had two stainless steel tables, um, a blagette oven, which has like four tray capacity. Yeah. As it's two, so it was eight technically. Yeah. And it was at commissary in Porco Coelho. Okay. Um, and yeah, the first order was, you know, five figures, right? Yeah. <laughs> and um, we, I think Shay and I worked like 48 hours um, straight. Take like, it. Yeah. Got like three hours of sleep a night. And then, um, and it was right around Christmas time. So all of our cafe orders were coming <laughs> in. We got, we hired people from our, um, old cafe yep. like we're just kind of floating around during the pandemic right so they all just came in and helped out for a that's week that's awesome yeah it was uh, is really intense time and so that's how we first dipped our feet into like grocery mm. and um the bar you know there's lots of mistakes and things that we've made through there and whether it be the packaging whether it be the quantity size um, costing price, yeah costing, hundred mm -hmm. percent. So, um, you know, if I could do it all over again, obviously mm. there's a lot of things differently, mm. but you know, we're still working with TNT and they still sell our four piece packs. The packaging itself has evolved quite a bit from mm. the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we tried to get custom packaging in the beginning, but we just couldn't hit the minimum. Order. Yeah. You and we had a discussion, didn't we? Yeah. yeah. I remember that. I think the cart, like the, the cardboard box, would have ended around dollars sixty-five mm -hmm. per box. Mm -hmm. For what we were trying to retail at, it was just a little bit too difficult. Yeah, there wasn't enough margin left. Yeah, selling and everything. So yeah, we couldn't commit to a large order. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was kind of like a whole experience in itself. 
Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, these things, you know, they all seem like bit hurdles at the time and it's amazing how you do eventually like get over them all. Um, if you had any advice for somebody who's got a business similar to yours, they're looking to um, wholesale or they're looking to break into retail and they've got a very delicate product, which is very labor intensive and so on, what advice would you give them? Yeah, I would just say network a lot and talk to a lot of, you know, uh, production people. Right. People who have experience in production, um, I think everyone's wired a little bit differently mm -hmm. and everyone has a little bit different uh, perspectives on how things should or could be done. And just one person saying, hey, you should custom make your mold instead of buying these stainless steel ones, you know, that alone increased our capacity by like 35%. Mm. Um, or something like that. Yeah, we went from making 30 to 49 uh, mm -hmm. a tray. So yeah. it, it adds up quite a bit. Yeah, it would. Um, yeah, and the investment was like $300. <laughs> so totally worth it, right? And if I didn't talk to that person, I, I never would have even imagined doing it. Mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. keep an open mind. And I wish I would have talked to more people who are experienced with, um, with the, the bakery, grocery, aisle in TNT mm. because our price point was a little bit too high going in uh, our retail price point as well mm -hmm. and um, it's hard to compete when everything in TNT sells under five dollars yeah you're right <laughs> like yeah over twelve dollars and it's a very premium product at the end of the day mm. but the you know if we increased if we hadn't increased the production I mean not the production if we hadn't increased the packaging size uh, we wouldn't have outpriced ourselves in a sense. Mm. Okay, cool. So, and you know, at what point did you realize that you did need to adjust the price point uh, for TNT? Like, how quickly did you cotton onto that? Was it something you persisted with for a while, or did you make that shift pretty quickly? I think pretty much right after our first order, we realized um, it was yeah. probably too big. But the, you know, I don't like blaming people, but uh, it was hard because they told us what packaging they wanted yeah yeah so mate there's a party going on in there some people drunk on the <laughs> hall sorry sorry about it <laughs> quiet like yeah yeah super quiet the whole week and then some people got here yesterday and they like to party so <laughs> yeah. went in right um, yeah sorry so yeah it's um yeah we realized it right away and but we couldn't really um, change it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But later on, I, I think about another year from there, we we were able to increase our production capacity, mm -hmm. bring our cogs lower, mm -hmm. and we were able to lower the price. And they were able to lower the retail, and yeah, we sort of ended up um, a little bit better. Yeah, yeah, a little bit approachable pricing than yeah. what it was before. Yeah. That's cool. What about yourself, Shay? Do you have any advice for anybody out there? Um, my advice would be never plan too far in advance. <laughs> um, so always plan in advance, like especially with cash flow. As mm. um, as someone who started, like we started this business with our own money and yeah, everything we bought used equipment. We started from a commissary kitchen. Mm -hmm. Um. And when we first got our purchase order from TNT, we were just 
happy to have a big purchase order. Mm. We weren't thinking about all the costs. Um, you had to buy all the ingredients up front. You're probably a small business, so you had very small, you know, very short terms with your suppliers. And companies like TNT probably give you like net 90 or something like that, don't they? Exactly. You don't get the checks. You don't see it until. I know. I know. That's uh, the biggest pain point for a lot of businesses right now. For sure. Yeah. Mm. And also there's labor. You can't make two pallets worth of goods by mm -hmm. your brother. You have to have help. Yeah. And so all of these things add up. So if you're planning to have a large contract in the near future, just plan in advance. Your cash flow is super important. Always keep an eye on your spending. Mm hmm yeah, that's yeah. Probably my main yep. yep. What about securing your in raw ingredients? So, you know, obviously you guys got quite a few inputs there. Uh, you guys um, obviously buying in some sort of bulk so that you can reduce your cost of um, goods. Um, how you go warehousing all of your products? Like, are they pretty shelf stable as well? Or do you have sort of short shelf life on some of your ingredients that you have to manage? Um, so our shelf life for our products like almond flour, for example, it lasts a very long time. Quite a while, yeah. And, um, you know, we, rather than pricing, we have more challenges with finding space to store them. Mm. So we still work with multiple dry ingredient suppliers, like Ingredient Plus, um, Snowcap, Baked yeah. Mark. Yeah. They're all super helpful, and we really enjoy working with them, and, and uh, they help us out a lot, and, you know, they – prices fluctuated like crazy yeah. uh, on egg whites um on almond flour it's just like crazy like yeah so the best way like we had this one time where we knew a butter increase was coming so we just bought like half a pallet mm -hmm. <laughs> we just bought a half a pallet Kept and it i think in the it's fridge. Uh, in our freezer or in oh, our yeah. walk-in freezer so yep. uh, i think just that alone we saved like six hundred dollars mm. just by doing that mm -hmm. um, so just before the increase but now it's back down again so you know prices averted right so mm -hmm. yeah but our, for us the challenge always is finding space to store the ingredients rather mm -hmm. than uh finding the ingredients itself mm -hmm. or storing it yeah 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 shay i mentioned it to you at the uh, trade show but i did see your linkedin post about you know all of the boxes that you just received and you know unpacking those pallets by hand putting them up on the roof of like one of the rooms that you've got just because you needed the room yeah the challenge is like i feel like you know for businesses our size i feel like they would relate to this a lot 100 percent, yeah you save a lot of money if you buy bulk but then you run into this problem of running out of space and what do you deal with that um so it's always been a constant challenge for us but um yeah you have to kind of deal with it we talked to a lot of people like storage solutions people too yeah yeah um, full storage because even when we get large purchase orders we are mm -hmm. not big enough um then we reach out to like local um like cold storage solutions as well but you just you always have to make sure you factor in those costs mm. um, so again like factor in all of your costs when yeah. you're planning production yeah yeah i can imagine that would be a challenge um back when you had the cafe and it was just only the cafe that you were operating obviously like food service cafe world has its own set of unique challenges that are very, very different than food production and, you know, CPG, which you're in now. How would you compare the two? I'm sure that you probably had moments throughout the operation of both types of business models where you're pulling your hair out and wishing you were doing something else. Like the grass is always greener, but how are you finding this sort of um, the direction that you're taking the business now? 
okay yeah um so sorry i'm i'm trying to understand the question better but basically for us um you know dealing with local cafes yeah. working with local cafes it's um it's like a roller coaster ride because yeah. you know my old job was um i was a um, an operations manager at a right. franchising company okay cool and my whole job was to visit 70 different small businesses mm -hmm. talk to them and talk about their pain points um and things like that and evaluations and all that fun stuff and i, I go over there you know it's really fun yeah yeah and um and but you're also dealing with 70 different small business owners mm -hmm. and that's that was like a very exciting thing because you get so many different characters yeah you know you have the same script slash pitch and I'm sure you understand that too, Aiden, right? Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, it was no different with working with local cafes. Mm -hmm. And um, some local cafes are a lot more open than others. Some are very, you know, they, they have a very good vision or they have a very strong vision of what they want to do. And if we're not in it, we're definitely not in it, right? Yep, yep. Some, some want us to be, uh, want to partner with us. And, um, but yeah, it's, I think it's always, the best part and the worst part is working with people. Mm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I don't say worst part. I mean the most challenging. Challenging. Part. Yeah, no, I get it. Different personalities yeah. for sure. Yeah, some yeah. people are up for a really good conversation. Some people just cut you off. Like that's the the most difficult thing about sales. Like some mm. people are up for a negotiation. Some people, as soon as they see the price that you put down, they walk away, and you're like, oh, this is a conversation here. You know, like yes, different people, yeah. different personalities, and everyone's unique in their own way. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and yeah. you know, as like someone who used to own a cafe as well, like yeah, I genuinely want to see every single one of them succeed, especially in such a tough market right now. Mm -hmm. Rising costs of everything, leases going up, uh, everything's more expensive, right? Mm -hmm. And you know, if they raise their cup of coffee by fifty cents, they'll get an earful from their customers. Absolutely, they sure will. You know, I, I totally empathize, and you know, and I totally genuinely want every single one of them to succeed and be happy running their business right mm -hmm. so, um yeah so for me it's like if the partnership works fantastic if it doesn't then you know we just move on with our lives right yeah and it's business that mm -hmm. that's cool do you guys have a core group of advisors that you leverage or that you've partnered up with over the years like a core partnership with uh... no just core advisors like people that you lean on like you obviously mentioned that you just happened to bump into the automation guy who's able to sort of be able to give you guys some really good insights and advice on the equipment that can really revolutionize your business and allow you to grow and scale but do you have anybody yeah. else that you've sort of been leaning on whether it's a family member or someone else that operates a business that you you know keep in touch with and bounce ideas off and that can help guide you and sort of keep you guys away from making massive mistakes <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think um, um, I'll, I'll just go first. Uh, like I, for myself, I a lot of people from my old job. Mm. Uh, and, where were you? Uh, where were Where were you working? So I was working at Sheffield and Sons, okay. and it's a convenience store chain. So we right. had about at one point we had like seventy two locations. Now yeah. it's a lot work because of the pandemic. Yeah, and um, I worked there for eight years as an operations manager yeah. and I got promoted as a product buyer, um, mm. which was really interesting. And for about four months, and then I realized I 
didn't really want to continue. Um, well, it was also out in Abbotsford, so right. commute a bit, bit of a trek. Yeah, before I was working from home, and then I had to work drive there every day, so um, didn't want to do that. So I moved on. Yeah, yeah. Earthing really picking up at that time. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So, yeah, made the decision there. Um, but yeah, so that's where that's where I was working, and um, <laughs> so I lost my track. Of no, no, no. We were talking about advisors and people. So you mentioned that there were some people that from your previous career that you obviously um, you know touch base with every now and then. Yeah. So my old boss, for example, um, I still keep in touch with him, mm -hmm. and uh, he still gives me pointers and a lot of like you know life life advices more than mm. business advice. Yep. And then also my old um, contact. He is uh, worked at a BC Lottery, hmm. and he, he's like one of the execs now. He's doing really well, and he still talks to me like every you know every couple of weeks we catch up. And that's cool. He has a lot of experiences as a food broker, cool. so he gave me a lot of really good pointers and advice. Yeah. So yeah, 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 so important having those people in your corner. What about you, Shay? Um, I wouldn't say like too too many mentors and terms of like business advice but mm. um i think mental health is one of the more important topics that us like small entrepreneurs need to focus on mm. and i'm so glad to have my mother who is a registered clinical psychotherapist so mm. that would <laughs> help for sure i just you know get a lot of help from her yeah 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 one of like the most important things skills to have yeah and being an entrepreneur yeah a lot of the times and i think at the from the ground up trade show we had a mental health speaker there and that was really helpful a couple yeah. of people actually cried yeah the, um, the speed dating <laughs> yeah yeah uh, professional you know help sessions yeah we're all very stressed with having a small business and having so much responsibilities yeah um, you know, some of the other female entrepreneurs there, they had kids and mm. they had another job. They're solo mm -hmm. parents. I don't mm -hmm. know how to deal with all that. At least I have my brother to kind of, you know, lean on and like vent to. With. Yeah. So yeah. I have also my mom. Um, yeah. Help. Support really helps. Yeah. That's a really great point that you just raised. Um, yeah. Mental health. It's tough, isn't it? You know, everybody, as you suggested, is dealing with their own unique set of challenges in life. And then once you compound, you know, a business on top of it and, you know, if the business is doing great things, that's really awesome. But it also presents, a, you know, growing pains and challenges in that respect. If the business isn't doing well, you can only imagine, you know, the weight of the world that somebody would be feeling. And then, yeah, you mentioned before a lot of, um, you know, business owners, they may be parents and parenting in itself is one hell of a ride. Um, I'm in the middle of it all right now with my kids and we've got a third one on the way. So life's about to get very, very busy. Um, yeah. But yeah, man. Yeah. Thank you very much. We're really excited. Um, but yeah, mental health, you know, so what do you do? You've obviously got your mum, who's your rock and you've got each other. So you can, you know, vent and bounce ideas of each other and keep yourselves in check. But do you meditate? Do you exercise? Like what is your sort of, um, yeah, I, I let's call it, you know, what's your routine to keep on top of your mental hygiene? I think for me, like physical exercise is definitely helpful, um, mm. especially, you know, just to keep yourself grounded and yeah. just going to your day and like making sure like you're actually focusing on something other than your business. Because mm. as 
entrepreneurs sometimes that's all we think about like 24 7 yep. we're it's constantly yeah. in the back of our minds and it's you're clenching your teeth when you sleep i went to the dentist the other day and i got diagnosed with pmj all <laughs> oh, right did you have to get a a um yeah, exactly because i'm clenching because that's yeah. a sign right yeah. um so and when i was talking to other um founders at the conference there a lot of them have the same symptoms mm. all due to stress so it's it's really important to have that channel of you know dealing with stress like whether it's yoga or you know physical activity, painting, mm. or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. What about yourself, Jimmy? Yeah, um, you know, before I started a bakery with a bunch of sweets, I <laughs> I used to like uh, go to the gym a lot, and I still do, and I still go about three to four days a week. Um, but it's very like very light exercises than I used to do. But I've also picked out swimming recently. Yeah, seems nice. To help breathing and you know cardio and stuff and uh-huh. um so but also trying... you're in mexico right now so you know it's also one of those decompressing yeah take a vacation if it's at all possible yeah yeah, yeah. It's, you know the first four days was just like very difficult because you're just thinking about work uh-huh. and even if you're not thinking about work you're still thinking about it. yeah <laughs> you know it's like you know, I, I went to the bakery aisle down here just to grab something for breakfast and I'm looking at it and I just couldn't help think about work right yeah. you know I look at the desserts and like oh like our stuff would be so creative yeah 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 I just have to walk into a grocery store and I'm looking at everybody's packaging picking up bags looking at it in my wife it drives my wife crazy yeah yeah you know she really helps me like focus on resting focus on decompressing so i can mm. be more productive when i'm actually working because sometimes you all you do is think you don't actually do anything mm. right mm-hmm. and sometimes you're just like stressed and you feel like you're doing a lot but you're really not <laughs> spinning your wheels a bit yeah exactly exactly and and that's that's what you know that's another really big advice is like Sometimes if you want to take a step forward, you have to take two steps back, right? Mm-hmm. Whether that be taking a like a, not a nine day vacation, but maybe like a three, four day vacation. Yeah. You know, maybe just decompressing as much as you can. Mm-hmm. Some, I think some people are better than that than others too. Yeah. yeah mentally switching off. Um, yeah. I feel as if you guys have driven really, really hard in this business and you've come a long way in such a short period of time. And, you know, there's a lot to be said for the dedication and the time that you're both putting into the business. And I'm sure you guys have like a vision for where you're taking it and what that looks like. And you could call that success, right? What does success in this business look like to you? Like, how do you guys define success and what does the future look like? Shay, do you want to go first? Loaded question. (laughs) (laughs) Success, I think at the end of the day is... Um, for any entrepreneurs to see your products being enjoyed by the customers and Mm. like as many customers as possible but at the same time you're delivering like real quality products Mm. and making other people happy Um, which is why we started our bakery in the first place because Mm. we wanted to share this great tasting gluten-free dessert Um, doesn't taste like cardboard it tastes really good (laughs) Um, so yeah but at the same time like we want to be able to reach to reach to that point where we're 
um, getting positive income and like all of that. We're scaling right now, so we haven't been able to reap the benefits of that yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting to that point is, I think, why we all start. In yeah. yeah, beautiful. And what about yourself, Jimmy? Yeah, I think we all want to, you know, as entrepreneurs, we all want to eventually get ahead, right? And we all want to make a good financial, create a good financial situation for ourselves, our families. Mm. And I think another, you know, aside from the financial point, what I would really like to see is being able to see something that I create, you know, everywhere in North America, right? Mm -hmm. That's our goal is like, we want it to be like, the main production company of Dakarans in North America, because mm -hmm. a no one's doing it, and b you know we think we're good at it. <laughs> you are, guys. You are good at it. I can attest to that fact. It's a quality product. I like. I'm blown away by it every time I've tasted your product. Like uh, you were really generous and sent me on my way when I came in and had that meeting with you about the packaging with some of the um, Dakarans, and they were delicious. And that was sort of when it first landed on my radar, and then I've subsequently tasted them twice at the trade show. And yeah, outstanding. And like, I think the hardest thing for you guys is obviously as you scale to maintain that quality and that's a challenge for everybody out there. So yeah, good luck with it all. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No worries. It's such a technically challenging product. I really hope that you guys can continue to nail it and I'm sure that you'll find a way through it for sure. Yeah. 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 And the goal is to not chalk it full of additives and yep. preserve it as much yep. as we can. Maintain and, your yeah. integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Awesome, mate. Well, listen, Jimmy, I'm going to let you um, continue your vacation. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time out of both of your days for, uh, you know, taking the time to stop in and have a chat with us and, you know, imparting some wisdom out there for all of us to learn from. I think that it was a really great conversation. I learned a lot from it and I'm sure that everybody else did too. Um, Shay, if anybody wanted to get in touch with the two of you, um, what's the best way for them to go about it? Um, you can send me or Jimmy an email. Um, so we're also reachable by Instagram. I manage our social media as well. Perfect. Yeah. Info at yeah. Awesome. Perfect. Well, yeah. listen, I will uh, put all of the links down in the show notes. I recommend everybody clicks on their website and have a good look around and order some of these um, Dakarons because, yeah, once you taste one, you'll be like, holy shit, what is this all about? And it completely transforms your life as in it's a new dessert option that you'd never even considered before. So, yeah, congratulations on all the success and good luck into the future, guys. Thank you so much for having us. You're yeah. welcome. Bye. Bye-bye. All right. Thanks again for listening in to episode 127 with Shay and Jim. If you have any questions or comments from the episode or would like to get in touch with me to see how I can assist you with your packaging, all of the links that you need can be down in the show notes below. All right. Thanks again. Hope to catch you next week.